think very little about God. And uh, yet, I read a recent Gallup poll, and that recent Gallup poll stated that 9 out of 10 Americans believe in God. It states that 92% of Americans believe in God. Now, when I read that Gallup poll, I was uh, kind of surprised. I don't know what you think about it, but I'm a bit surprised by it. I find it kind of hard to believe that 92% of people believe in God. I suppose that it wouldn't probably be surprising, though, if you consider the fact that there's a broad range of what we think God is like, right? So our belief in God would be... Uh, many people would believe in a God that the Bible doesn't uh, describe. So therefore, I think probably a more important question would be, instead of, do you believe in God, is what kind of God is he? What's he like? You know, the answer to that question is more important than many people realize. Whether you realize it or not, your life reflects or will reflect your thoughts about God. In fact, it's going to define who you are for good or for bad. Therefore, we should, be, we should think rightly about God. A.W. Tozer put it this way. I think he was right when he said, What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Now, why does he say that? He says, he says that because what you think about God is going to affect your behavior in life, your behavior toward him. It's going to affect your outlook on life. And, and your everyday walk of faith it's going to affect. So the most important questions I believe that you can contemplate is, what is God like? What kind of a God is he? And how can we expect him to act toward us? Now, wouldn't that last question be an important one? How can we expect God to act toward us? I think the answer to that question would have a great bearing upon our life, wouldn't it? Now, I'm convinced that there's no study that's greater, grander, or more important than the study of God, the person of God. Someone, I believe, caught this thought, uh, G.D. Uh, 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 Watson, back in uh, our last century, or actually two centuries now, I guess. Uh, he captured this thought when he wrote, It's a beautiful task to study about God. The human mind could never be employed on any subject so full of rich reward as when trying to find out the knowledge of God. To search after the character and perfection of God is the highest science, the deepest philosophy, the loftiest poetry, the greatest history, the truest theology, and the most thrilling biography. So this is a very important conference, isn't it? That we're all attending here this day. The theme on God's nature, God's character, God's attributes so I would encourage you also to supplement uh, this conference by reading a good book on this topic. And I know that there's some books in the fellowship hall on, and I saw a couple of them as I perused there briefly, uh, uh, a couple of them that I actually recommend. The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer, of course, is a classic. You have to read a paragraph and then read it again and meditate on it. Also, Knowing God by J.R. Packer, which I notice is back there, which would be a very good book books as a follow-up to understand and uh, uh, to learn more 
about the attributes of God. But with the, with the time that I have left, I want to drive home with you an important, the importance of this study, the study of God. And I want to do this by pointing out four points. The first study, first of all, is this. The study of God is the... Uh, oh, I'm sorry, let me get this on. The study of God is the most... Uh, There it is. Thank you. The most worthwhile pursuit in life. The most worthwhile pursuit in life. We read in, uh, in uh, Jeremiah. Good, that came up. Jeremiah chapter 9. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Now, I want you to look at verse 23 there. Notice in verse 23, God hits on three things that are highly valued by mankind in general. Three things that are highly valued in verse uh, uh, 23. And in a nutshell, it's earthly wisdom, power, and riches. You see that there in verse 23? Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, referring to earthly wisdom here, Earthly wisdom that doesn't factor God into our thinking. Let not the mighty man boast in his might, which is referring to a, a worldly power, a prestige and position. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Now, I think they pretty much summarize what people typically value as being the utmost important to life, right? Earthly wisdom, power, and riches. So the question is, what's God communicating to us here? It's this. Don't allow these pursuits to be the driving force of your life. Don't allow these pursuits to be the driving force of your life. God is saying earthly wisdom, power, position, prestige, money, and possessions, they're not the most worthwhile pursuit. Look, you can have all of these things and you can still have a vacuum deep down in your heart. Did you ever hear about the farmer who had these targets? They were all painted on the back of his barn, these targets. They were all painted and uh, there were arrows in every target, right dead set in the bullseye, arrows, and all these targets. Well, somebody was visiting the farm, and they happened to see the side of that barn and all those targets with that arrow straight in the bullseye. And he said, wow, man, you must be an excellent marksman. You hit every single bullseye. And the farmer said, well, actually, uh, you know, I shot the arrows first, and then I kind of painted the bullseye around them. And that's really a, the way a lot of people think about life, don't they? They shoot for riches, and then they draw an arrow around it. You know, they draw the bullseye, the meaning of life, I guess we can say, around it. They shoot for power, they shoot for prestige, and then they draw the meaning of life around it. They shoot for earthly knowledge, and then they draw the meaning of life around it. And you know what it gives? It gives the impression that they really know what they're doing, doesn't it? They really know what to shoot for in life. They really know what matters. And other people kind of view them as having uh, very successful lives, 
They think that they're satisfied, they're content, full of meaning and full of purpose. And in reality, there's still a vacuum deep down in their soul. We all know many people like that. But what does God say should be the ultimate pursuit in life? He says, let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. A growing, God, a growing knowledge of God is the most worthwhile pursuit in life. And I don't mean just an academic knowledge of God, but also an experiential, a, a relationship knowledge. Which leads us to the second point. It's the most life-giving pursuit in life. Jesus says in John chapter 17, he said, he lifted, Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. That they may know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. Now, verse 3 gives us a very simple explanation of how eternal life is obtained. By knowing God the Father and Jesus Christ his Son. And this is speaking of life-giving knowledge, isn't it? It's speaking of eternal life. Eternal life, that's about as life-giving as they get, right? You kind of think of it this way. Pretend you're with a group of people and you're touring the White House. You're touring the White House. And as uh, you and this group are walking around uh, with the tour guide, all of a sudden the president appears. He singles you out. He starts talking to you. At first, you feel a little bit self-conscious. You kind of stick to formalities with him. Then he asks you for your phone number. He wants to call you occasionally because he wants to consult with you. So he asks you to make himself available for his service. Now, how do you think that's going to affect your life? I don't care what you think of our present-day president. It doesn't matter. He's the most powerful person on earth. And if he, whatever you think, whether you voted for him or not, it doesn't matter. This will transform your life, won't it? If it was dull and ho-hum before, it wouldn't be any longer, right? Now, I think that illustrates to a smaller degree what it should be like to be in a relationship with God himself, the God of all creation. Almighty God. Your life should be totally transformed, just enamored. And here's an important truth to know. Eternal life is more than everlasting life. Eternal life is more than everlasting life. Eternal life also means quality of life. When does eternal life begin? When we die? 
No, when we come to Christ, faith in Christ, right? We have eternal life now. I remember years ago, I had a brief conversation with a, uh, a uh, waitress. Sometimes I would ask the question, uh, if there was one thing that you would wish for, one thing, what would it be? You know, and uh, usually people say to live forever. But uh, I asked her in particular if she would like to live forever. She'd like to know how to live forever. She'd like to live forever, and she says no. I says, why not? And she says, because life stinks. I mean, who wants to live, live forever if life stinks? You know, but when Jesus speaks of eternal life, he's speaking of also of a quality of life. God's life being lived out within us. And the only way you can experience this kind of life is going to be by knowing God. Life can never be lived the way it was meant to be lived without the knowledge of the true God. People are puzzled by life. It's kind of like this, reminds me of this little uh, girl, this seven-year-old girl who, who uh, she likes putting together puzzles. And of course, you know the puzzles for a seven-year-old girl are very, just a few pieces on those puzzles, uh, big pieces to put these puzzles together. But her father realized, boy, she really likes these puzzles. And he winds up uh, seeing uh, a thousand-piece puzzle. So he brings home, he brings that thousand-piece puzzle for his daughter, and he gives it to her, and she tries working on that thing all afternoon. She finally comes back to her father, frustrated, and she says, Dad, I can't put this puzzle together. There's just too many pieces. And that's what life's like without a proper knowledge of God, isn't it? Like a thousand-piece puzzle to a, to a seven-year-old. To make sense out of life, you need a very simple equation. And that very simple equation is this. Quality of life equals the knowledge of God. Quality of life equals the knowledge of God. Listen. If you want an authentic life, don't go looking for it. If you want an authentic life, don't go looking for life. Jesus says, if you, will, if you try to find your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life, you'll find it. If you want an authentic life, look for the knowledge of God. If you're not succeeding in life, and when I say not succeeding, I don't mean just merely materially, materially succeeding. I'm talking about internally, relationally. It's because you're not growing in your understanding of God. The study of God is the most life-giving pursuit in life. And third, it's the most beneficial pursuit in life. It's the most beneficial pursuit in life. Nothing, nothing will benefit you more in a day-to-day, -day, in day-to-day -day living than a correct knowledge of God. Daniel um, says, in Daniel 11, he says this, The people who know their God shall stand firm. The people who know their God shall stand firm. When you have a proper biblical concept of who God is, what God is like, 
when you have a good knowledge of his nature and his character, you can stand firm no matter what life throws your way. Think of this world that we live in. This world can become just a a mystifying, a painful place to be in, wouldn't it? And it is a mystifying, painful place to be in for people that don't have a proper knowledge of God and growing in an experience with him, just like that waitress. No, I don't want to live forever because life stinks. Take, for example, the sovereignty of God, which is going to be a workshop, I believe, Fred and Lori Butcher are doing later. If you have no knowledge of God's sovereign control over all things, you're going to grow disillusioned by the corruption around us, aren't you? We grow disillusioned. I mean, you're going to think the battle is unwinnable. Yet the Bible assures us what? God is sovereign. That means he's in control of the affairs of man, whether it looks like it or not. He's in control. He's bringing all things together for his good, his eternal plan. And he'll bring his purposes to pass, the Bible says. A correct understanding of, the, of the God's sovereignty, you know, has saved me from so much anxiety, unnecessary anxieties and fears. And not just the, from the world around me, but also from things, uh, even in my life, when things seem to be falling apart. Knowing that God is in control, he's sovereign, strengthens me. And that's why the psalm writer often spoke about God as what? God as his what? Refuge and strength. Think of God's omniscience. If you disregard that God is all-knowing, you know what you sentence yourself to? You sentence yourself to stumbling through life. You're going to look for answers in all the wrong places. If you forget the fact that God is omnipotent, that he's omnipresent, then you're going to live in fear of future circumstances, temptations, and difficulties, won't you? The Bible says that God is immutable. But how many Christians know that the immutability of God is the great, great source of comfort? Now, these are just some of the attributes that we're gonna, of God that we're going to contemplate throughout the course of this conference. And I'm convinced that a person who understands what God is like, what kind of God he is, is going to be relieved of 10,000 temporal burdens. Having a correct understanding of God, it just cannot be overstated. Cannot be overstated. We were created to know him. Our aim in life is to increase in our knowledge of him. There's great contentment in knowing him. Eternal life is in knowing him. Our reason for existence is in knowing him. The purpose for living is in knowing him. And our eternal future is secure in knowing him. And that's why a correct knowledge of God just has a way of putting all the pieces of life together, doesn't it? And that's why those who deny the existence of God, 
who see no importance of such a pursuit, they're groping. They're groping. They're, they're, they're groping. They're looking for answers. They're clinging to theories, theories of man and earthly wisdom. Things that change with every generation of philosophers and psychologists, right? And that's why many Christians have a shallow understanding of the true nature of God. And that's why, because they have that shallow uh, understanding, they, they live their lives pretty much close to the way the world lives. And that's why Peter says, in 2 Peter chapter 1, he says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Let me read that again. His divine power has granted to us some things that pertain to life and godliness. Oh, I messed up there, didn't I? All things that pertain to life and godliness. You know what that word all means in the Greek? It means all. You thought I was going to hit you with a big one, didn't you? Now, those of people from our church know that one. That's why they said all. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his glory and excellence. Peter says the knowledge of God will give you grace, peace, and spiritual power in order to live a victorious life here in this world. I mean, what more could we ask for, right? A life motivated by God's grace. A heart that's guarded by God's peace. We see God's power to live a holy life here. Pretty good life, right? Isn't it? Pretty good life. And Peter says it only comes how? By the knowledge of the true God. Let me give you one last point. The study of God is the most challenging pursuit in life. It's the most challenging pursuit in life. Look what it says in Romans chapter 11. Apostle Paul speaks and he writes and he says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable and comprehensible his ways. Now, do you like a good challenge? Most people like a good challenge, don't they? And if you want the ultimate challenge, this is the ultimate challenge, then decide to get to know God better. Decide to get to know what he's like. Get to know what he's like. It's a challenge, and the reason why it's a challenge is because he can't be fully comprehended in this lifetime. Never think you know everything that there is to know about God. Getting to know about God will never end. In fact, some biblical scholars I even read say, even in eternity, we're going to still learn about God throughout eternity. And that's a pretty long time. He is much, much more than you or I can fully comprehend in our lifetime. And it's a challenge because, quite frankly, God hasn't made it easy. 
He hasn't made it easy for us to know him. Now, you're probably thinking right now, why? <laughs> why wouldn't God make it easy? Well, I'll tell you why. I don't believe he makes it easy. Because he wants to see how serious you are. How serious are we? Growing in your knowledge and your ways of God must be the ultimate priority of your life. Psalm 2 is a tremendous psalm. And Psalm 2 says that pursuing the knowledge, I mean not Psalm 2, I'm sorry, Proverbs chapter 2. Uh, pursuing the knowledge of God is um, it's like a man on search for hidden treasures. Like a man on search for hidden treasures. Listen as I read it. Read the first five verses only. My son, if you receive my words... Now, he's talking about, he means receiving his words is like seed on fertile ground. And treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, having an open heart and an open ear towards God's truths. Yes, if you call out for insight, if you raise your voice for understanding, and he's referring to fervent prayer for illumination, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, it's like someone who's on a mad pursuit for hidden treasures. Then, then, you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Now, throughout this conference, I'm asking God to help me know him better. And I want to challenge you to do the same thing. You see, it starts with something. It starts with the desire, as we read in Proverbs 2. It starts with the desire Moses prayed, show me your ways that I may know you. King David wrote, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. The Apostle Paul said that his greatest longing was that I may know him. So throughout this conference, may our heart's desire and our prayers um, also be his prayer. His, I mean, may his prayer, may I, that I may know him, be also our prayer. So why don't we do that right now? Why don't we just all pause momentarily here. Take a moment, bow, and pray. Speak to the Lord. Tell him that you are on life's most important pursuit to know him even better.
Yes, Father, that's our prayer. May we be drawn closer to you this very day. May you expand the borders of our understanding. As Paul prayed, the eyes of our eyes and the eyes of our understanding be opened. That we might know the riches of your glory. Jesus' name. Amen. Armin, I can't think of a more perfect beginning. Thank you. I'm, I'm touched. <laughs>